Thank you, Ivan. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We want to encourage you to be here this evening. Acts chapter 2. We're going to continue with a series that we uh, started a few weeks ago where we're using um, this book, I Will, as kind of our uh, springboard into our discussion. And, and we're talking about in this, there's, there's nine characteristics of a Christian who's involved in a church that has moved from the point of, I'm just here, to I will serve and I will be a part of the church. And, and so we've already looked at three of those characteristics, and the first one is, I will move from I am to I will. As we said the first week, uh, many of us can make the statement, I am a Christian. Um, but it needs to go beyond that to, I will serve a God because of what I am and what He has done for me. Two weeks ago we looked at I will worship with others. God desires for us to come here and it's not just uh, to sit, but it's to serve uh, through our aspect of worship. This morning I want to look at the next one, which is I will grow with others. I will grow with others. Acts chapter 2 is where we'll be in a moment. Let's begin with a word of prayer. God, we are thankful for all that you do for us, and I pray that you'll help us as we look into this passage, into this topic, that we'll understand the responsibility that each of us has. We ask that you are glorified in everything that is done, in your name, amen. I don't know about you, but I sometimes will read stories of individuals who've lived on their own in some remote location for many years, and I just kind of marvel at it and sometimes a little weirded out by it, if you know what I mean. Uh, my in-laws, a few years ago, uh, went to the island of Guam. For a number of years, my wife's sister uh, and her husband served uh, at a church in, on the island of Guam. And, and so my in-laws went and visited, and they had an opportunity to go to this particular location on the island of Guam, and they learned about an individual named Sochi Yoki. Say, who is Sochiyoki? Well, I remember the story they told me, and it stuck with me, and so I went back and did some research. During the beginning of World War II, Guam, which is just a tiny island nation, was occupied by the nation of Japan. They had just a, a small regiment of soldiers that were stationed there, and their job was to protect, and Guam is in, in a location where it's kind of a, a good stopping off point if you're going to uh, a different part of the Pacific. And so uh, they were there. This particular individual, Yoki, was sent to Guam in 1943 with a, with a group of soldiers that were part of his uh, regiment. In 1944, just a year later, the U.S. troops... Uh, attacked Guam and they, they took control of Guam and today it's still an area that is controlled by the U.S. It's a territory of the U.S. And uh, when they attacked, obviously they captured many of the Japanese soldiers. Many of them were taken as, captures, as captives. Some of them, though, there was a group of ten Japanese soldiers who hid. Yoki was one of those, and after just a short period of time, seven somehow managed to get away and, and uh, were captured, and so three of them stayed hidden for 20 years. These three stayed hidden. After about 20 years, two of them died in a, in a flood. Yoki survived, and he stayed hidden for another 10 years by himself. 
all along thinking that the war was still going on, not realizing that it had ended. Finally, in about 1972-1973, he was out, Yoki was out, and, and two local fishermen saw him and went over and approached him, and as they approached him, he thought that they were enemy soldiers, and so he attacked them. They were able to subdue him, and they took him in, and the authorities had to convince him the war was over. For 30 30 years, he had bunkered down and really made himself a hermit because he was afraid that the war was still going on. Uh, Poor guy. I heard about another story. Maybe you heard about this one. This one is more recent. In 2013, authorities captured a 47-year-old man named Chris Knight. He was wanted in connection with a number of thefts and burglaries in the state of Maine. What they learned about this guy was kind of interesting. In 1985, at the age of 19, Chris Knight got tired of associating with people. And so he decided he was going to go off the grid. That's a term that you know, people use today. He decided he was going to go and live off the land. That's not quite how it worked out, though. He realized after a short period of time that he couldn't survive on his own. So he began to survive by sneaking into cabins and homes and and stores and stealing what he needed to survive. And so he was then became a fugitive. He lived on his own for 28 years, surviving by stealing. He was asked um, if he had interacted with anyone during that 28 years, and he said this, He said, in 28 years, I've only spoken to one individual. And it was a a hiker that I crossed paths with somewhere in the 90s. I don't remember when. No, these are extreme cases of hermits. You say, why are you telling us these? Because that's not how God created us to be. God created us uh, to be social people. God created us, He never intended us to do life alone. He never intended us to do the Christian walk alone. God never intended us to be alone at all. Everything about what God has done points to the fact that God has a plan for us that includes the involvement of others in our lives. God Himself is a, is a community. God is the Trinity, is, is one God in three parts, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they exist in perfect unity. And it's, so it's not surprising that from the beginning, God created us to be a part of a community working together uh, with each other. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this, it's not good that man, for man to be alone. Now we know that that often is used in context of marriage, and rightfully so. That's what God is saying. Adam was alone, and God says it's not good that Adam is alone, and so he created Eve. But from that, we see the fundamental need that God has made for us, and that is to connect with others. It's a gift that God has given to us. What's striking about that statement when God says it's not good that man is alone is that statement was made before the fall. There was no sin. There was no disobedience. Man was in perfect intimacy with God and yet in perfect intimacy with God, God declares that man is alone and that's not a good thing because God made us as people who connect with others. That was part of His plan. One author put it this way, Community is deeply grounded in the nature of God. It flows from who He is. Because He is community, He created community. 
It is His gift of Himself to humans. Therefore, the making of community may not be regarded as an an optional decision for Christians. It is a compelling and irrevocable necessity, a binding divine mandate for all believers at all times to connect with others. Jesus continued this model when Jesus came to earth and and He began His ministry. He called 12 disciples and they were His primary relational and ministry community. Did He call these men because He needed their help? Not really. Jesus called them because He chose to love them, teach them, pour Himself into them, and create really a group that would then go on and create other groups. And these apostles did that. These apostles continued uh, to follow Jesus' model and they formed churches and communities throughout the world. Communities of believers that would love God and love one another. And despite a time, at that time of the apostles of intense persecution and against all odds, these ragtag group of apostles did that. They launched communities all over the world that still exist today to proclaim the Gospel. When we look at the early church, we see, we get the, the idea that Jesus desired for us to do ministry together. Let's look at this. Acts chapter 2, and starting in verse 42. And it says in Acts 2.42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. If you look primarily, we're going to look at a lot of verses here, but I want you to start looking at verse 46. And what you'll notice is something interesting. And <coughs> excuse me, and it pointed out in verse 46 is that there are two different locations of meeting for the church. Notice what it says there. It says the temples and the homes. As, as the author of this book, Tom Rayner, pointed out, the health of the church is tied to both the larger meeting, the temple, and the smaller meeting, the home, as well. It's not an either or. And I believe as we go through this message, the, the premise of this message, and what I want to get across to, to us as a congregation, is we talked about two weeks ago, a meeting here in worship, and this is, is crucial, is essential, but I believe also that meeting in, in settings where we interact with each other is also part of what God gave to the church to do. And today, many in, in churches have lost that small group feel because the size of churches have gotten bigger. It's essential for a church to make these opportunities, and that's why we do Sunday school. That's why we're doing summer growth groups. It's an opportunity for us to connect together because I believe that's scriptural. And as we go through this message, I want to point that out. Tom Rayner in his book said that uh, they've done surveys to, de- to, to determine uh, churches um, and growth patterns. And what's interesting is they said is this, is that those who are involved in small groups, whether it's Sunday school or, or growth groups or whether it's Bible studies, those who are involved in that are five times more likely to be, continue to be faithful in church. 
contrast to the flip side, it's, he said that 16% of those who only attend worship service continue to attend church five years later. I'm not saying that's across the board. But I think the stats are there that show that if you are going to be uh, uh, involved in a church, if you're going to grow in a church, it's going to be more than just coming Sunday morning and hearing preaching because there's, you're missing out an aspect of, 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 of church that is mentioned in the Bible, and we're going to look at that. It brings us back to what I said at the very beginning. God never intended for you to be alone. God never intended for you to grow alone. And that's why it's so vital as part of growth that you're involved in uh, groups that are meeting together. I'm going to look at just for a, a little bit two different things. First of all, I want you to notice the factors that contribute to growing together. The factors that contribute to growing together. And these are from the book, but uh, I want to notice them and add to what's in the book. First of all is the relationship factor. It's important that you establish relationships. When I was, in, was training in Bible college, I had a professor that used to warn about the dangers of the Lone Ranger Syndrome. Who was the Lone Ranger? Some of you probably remember that. If you're here and you're, you're you know, my age or older, you definitely remember that. If you're younger than me, you're probably going, I have no idea who the Lone Ranger is. The Lone Ranger was a guy who would go around the West and uh, the Wild West, and he would ride his horse around. And he had a he had a partner, uh, 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 an Indian named Tonto, that would go with him. And they would go and they would uh, find people in distress, and they would help them out of their problem. And then they would go off into the sunset, uh, heroes. The thing was with the Lone Ranger is he never really built relationships, did he? He never really interacted with those people in, in a real meaningful way. And in fact, uh, you know, he wore a mask. Why? To hide his true identity because he didn't want people to know who he was. But I think the problem is that many people do that in the church. And that's not how God desires for the church to be done. But I think it's often what takes place. People join a church and they come for a minimal amount of times. They build no relationships and they wear a mask so people don't see who they really are. And I don't believe... That's what God desires for us to be in a church. But when we get involved in a church, when we get involved in Sunday school, growth groups, Bible studies, we allow ourselves to build lasting relationships that become avenues for growth and accountability. And as we grow in our relationships with each other, we help each other through difficult times of hurt and pain, loss and gain. And then we find that when we fail, when we mess up, we have people close to us that can confront us about our sin. That only happens when we build relationships. I'm thankful for people in this church who are, are willing to confront me when I fail. But it's through building relationships that happen. Just this week I had someone call me and say, hey, you did this. I didn't really think it was a wise idea. And they were right. I apologized and I said, I'm sorry. You know, it's built through a relationship that happens over time of connecting with each other. And I believe that the Bible uh, makes that very clear that we must do that. Some people say this though, I don't want people to be in my business. For the last three months, we've gone through a study in the Bible of one another passages. And you know what one another passages tell me? One another passages tell me this, that God wants you to be in each other's business. 
Because He wants you to grow one another. It doesn't say in the passage there, in all those passages we looked at, it doesn't say not to be connected. The idea of one another is that I am in a relationship with other people in such that they can encourage me, they can pray for me, they can confront me when I sin, they can point out my faults, and that only happens when we're together and when we grow and when we allow people to become see who we are. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. You know, that hurts at times. When we allow ourselves to, to, uh, to open up and, and, and show to others, you know what, we're not perfect. We're able to sharpen each other. We're able to grow. I encourage you with that, that one of the factors that contributes to growing together is the relationship factor. We build relationships. But secondly, also the ministry factor. When we connect with others in a small group setting, we create opportunities to serve and we create opportunities to serve with others. Look, if you will, back at the text in Acts chapter 2. And I want you to notice just a few things here. Look at verse 44. It says in Acts 2.44, and all who believed were together. Notice that. I mean, there was such a sense that they were together all the time. That they had a relationship with each other. Notice what it says, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and gracious hearts. This distribution of wealth was not about uh, uh, a socialism. This distribution of, of wealth was about meeting the needs of others. This is a normal byproduct of a close environment in a church that's created through small interactions. And we do this in our church as well, and I'm thankful for that. We have individuals who provide meals. I just talked to someone this week who said uh, they were taking a meal to someone, and, and I told them I appreciate that, and they didn't even know who the person was, but they were helping them out and trying to be a part of that and helping those in need. And I appreciate uh, Vicki Watson and all she does to organize that and, and making sure people in our church have those. But uh, as we interact with people, we find out their needs we find out what they have and then we minister to it. And that's what they were doing here in this church. It was just, it was just a, a, a really a byproduct of getting to know each other as they, as they would study the Word of God and as they would interact. And, and one person would say over here, you know, here's what I'm really struggling with. And the other one would go, you know what, I can meet that need. I can help with that. You, you know, you don't have this. I got an extra one. Let me take care of that for you. And it was an interaction that happened as they met together, as they got to know each other, and not in the big sense like we do here, but in a small sense where they connected. At times, individuals are hurt. And I, I've had this happen in my ministry, and I know Pastor Miller would talk to me about it happening in his ministry, where people would hurt because no one reached out to them when they went through a trial. But oftentimes it's because no one knew. No one knew about the trial because they weren't, there wasn't an interaction going on in their lives. How did the early church know who had a need? How did they know? Here it says that they would distribute to all as any had need. How did they know who had a need? Because they were a part of each other's lives. 
Each and every moment they were a part of each other's lives. And so the factors that contribute to growing together is, first of all, the relationship factor, the ministry factor. Thirdly, the teaching factor. Learning the truths of the Bible can take place anywhere, but I believe as you study the Bible, you'll see there are three distinct locations where learning took place. Uh, First of all was the preaching ministry. Preaching is an essential part. We talked about that two weeks ago. Paul said, uh, when he was talking to the church at Corinth, he said, when I came to trust to preach the gospel, Paul preached the gospel, and he he would do that on a regular basis. He would would preach the word, and he would do that um, to the people. That's a common thing. The second part of that, though, is the personal study. You grow not only through the preaching, but through the personal study. Do you study the Word of God? I love what Deuteronomy says. He says there, You therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as signs in your hands and be frontlets between your eyes. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's some similar wording, but it talks about your relationship with your kids, but here it's personal. What is he talking about? He's talking about the Word of God, and he's saying it should be so much a part of our hearts and our soul and our lives. Do you dig into the Word of God? That it's who you are. We can grow through teaching times and in preaching, but also in personal study. But I believe it's not only that, but also this small interaction. Take your uh, Bibles again and look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. I want you to notice something interesting about verse 42. It says there, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This was the preaching ministry of the apostles. The apostles would get up, and and later on it talks about in the temple, they would go to the temple and they would teach. They would teach the teachings of Christ, they would teach the, the teachings of the Old Testament, and they would teach. That was the big setting, what we're doing right now. But notice what it says next. It says, and in fellowship. I've taught in this before, and I've often said that, you know, as Baptists, we completely understand what fellowship is. You know, to be a fellowship, there has to be uh, Kool-Aid. <laughs> there has to be cookies. There has to be a dessert table over on the side that everyone goes to before their meal because they're afraid the good stuff's going to go. Okay? That's not the fellowship that he's talking about in this passage, although that's fantastic. What he's talking about in this passage is, is literally opening up the Scripture together and face-to-face as a group saying, hey, you know what? This is what I see here. And this is how God's used this in my life. And sharing how God has strengthened you through the food of Scripture. That is not what happens in this setting. That can't happen here. Unfortunately, some of you are wishing this wasn't the case, but I'm the only one doing the speaking. Fellowship doesn't imply one person doing the speaking. It implies a group of people doing the speaking and talking together and interacting together. And that's what uh, they were doing together. And if you notice, he goes on the next one. He says, and breaking of the bread. That was not, again, again, we're Baptists, so again, we go back to that must be a meal. No, that was not a meal. What that was was communion. That they would gather together and they would remind themselves of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And then he goes on, the final thing he says is, is prayers. And this was not the pastor getting up and praying. This was, notice, prayers, plural. It was sitting around and praying together. It was aspects of growing as a small group gathers. 
Some of the most powerful moments of growth that I, I have had in my life are times when I have sat in a group and discussed Scripture together. Last year, as we did growth groups, I thought was amazing. I've said this a few times. What I thought was amazing was I would sit down and, and what we did in our growth groups was basically we would, we would go over my message on Sunday that I preached. And I would sit there in a growth group and, and we would discuss it and people in my growth group would start speaking back to me what they learned from my message and it was nothing that I preached. But that's how they grew and it impacted me through that. And I grew through something they got out of my message. And I, that, that's the idea of what they were doing here is they were breaking the bread together and they were fellowshipping around the Word. The factors that contribute to growing together is the relational factor, the ministry factor, the teaching factor, and the evangelism factor. I'm going to read to you a portion of the book that uh, we've been going through together. And if some of you read it, and you, I've already heard this, but uh, in it he talks about Roger, an introvert. He says that uh, Roger was, was struggling to, to, uh, to share the Gospel with people because he was so shy and, and he uh, tried and he failed over and over again and so he quit trying. And then it says this, one day Roger was talking to his neighbor Ethan. He knew Ethan was not a Christian. In fact, his neighbor had even told Roger bluntly that he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. So Roger approached Ethan differently. He simply said to him this, Ethan, I don't want to force you into conversation that will make us both uncomfortable. Let me ask you this, would you consider coming to my Bible study for a couple of weeks? The guys there are great, you know many of them. If you don't like it, you don't have to keep attending. Much to Roger's surprise, Ethan showed up the next week, and the next week, and the next week. He started attending the worship services with Roger. He brought his wife and his two daughters. And much to Roger's surprise, Ethan eventually confessed that Jesus Christ was Lord, joined the church, and became faithfully involved. Because one man said, hey, I can't share the gospel, but I can invite him to my group, and he'll come and interact. The opportunities are there. The opportunities, maybe you have a neighbor who won't come to a worship service, but hey, they might come to a Bible study at a house that you have. We need to realize that we can grow together uh, if we will be willing to go together. The second area that I want to look at in just the next few moments is the vision that contributes to growing together. I think that as we look here, we see that it's very clear in Scripture that God intends for us not to just to grow in the masses, but to grow in, in small groups and, and, and to interact in that way, whether it's Sunday school or, or, or Wednesday night program or, or even a Bible study that the ladies have or men have, that we do that and we interact and we grow together. I think we see that that's what the New Testament church was doing and they were growing. But if we're not careful, that groups can become a bad thing as well. I've had some people come and they're hesitant about having uh, small groups because they fear that it'll just become a gossip session. People are just going to gossip. That happens unless there's a plan. And so what I want to talk about in the next few moments is what is that plan? What does God want us to do? What should our small groups, if you do a Bible study, man, you want to do a Bible study in your house and invite all your neighbors, what should it look like? 
What should be involved in something like that? And so I want to take a few minutes and look at five aspects of uh, what it should look like. First one is we should serve one another with persistence. We should serve one another with persistence. First Thessalonians said this, Paul, relating to uh, the people in Thessalonica, he said this, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the Gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. What Paul is saying in this passage is this. He's saying it's not just enough that each week I would come and I would preach the Gospel to you, but he said, I opened up my heart to you. I let you see who I was. I shared my life with you. You see, that's more than just a simple preaching, but there's a real interaction there. Week in, week out, we should work to know each other more and more deeply. Share our hearts and our lives, praying for one another, praying for their needs, asking questions, bearing each other's burdens. That is what the church should be doing. Yet so often, that's not what we want. Because we want to just have small talk. Don't be satisfied with asking each other what you think about the weather. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's what we do. I mean, right now it's a, you know, it's a great topic. Uh, how about that weather? <laughs> it stinks, doesn't it? Let's move on. You know, do you think that these early church believers sat around when it says they fellowshiped and said, how about that weather? It's hot out. No, that's not what they did. They sat around and in the midst of the fear of persecution and they talked about how good their God was and what He meant to them. Don't be satisfied with talking about trivial things. We must be persistent learners of one another. Learn about each other. Uh, you know, I, I love doing that. You know, one of my absolute <laughs> sounds bad, but one of my favorite times to get to know people is sitting next to their hospital bed. Because there's no hiding who they are then. They they reveal who they are. And sitting there and seeing the heart of someone and, and, and feeling the pain that they're experiencing and watching the anxiety on their face and knowing that they're hurting and they're scared. We need to get to know each other and be persistent learners of who each other are. And with everything we learn, good, bad, or otherwise, we strive to love and serve one another, meeting each other's needs, encouraging growth, and helping one another thrive. And what makes an effective growth group, small group? It's that you interact. You learn about struggles. That's not a bad thing. I think we think that if, if someone knows who I really am, they might look down on me. If someone knows who you really are, you know what they're going to realize? That you struggle just like they do. And we should be serving one another with persistence. Secondly, I think part of our vision that contributes to growing is depending on God in prayerfulness. Do we depend on God in prayerfulness? 
In, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know that whether it's in worship here in the morning service, whether it's in a deacon's meeting, whether it's in uh, a young at heart activity, whether it's in a youth activity, whatever it is, prayer should be a regular, visible engine of this church. It should be. We need God every hour, every minute of every hour. So prayer must mean everything to us. We must look to God for everything we need, never taking His provisions for granted. Whether we're alone or we're together, we must be people of prayer. Always adorning God, always confessing our sins to God, always thanking God, always asking God. As we meet in Sunday school, growth groups, Bible studies, prayer needs to be a serious part of what we do. Because as the passage says, we have a high priest who knows what we've gone through, knows our problems, and cares. Is prayer a regular part of what we do? It should be. We should pray together. Heard people say, you know, they have a hard time praying around other people. You're not praying to other people, you're praying to God. But Scripture tells us that when we pray around other people, it's, it helps us, helps them. It's a part of the church, it's a part of growth process. So we grow. We struggle sometimes with exposing ourselves in a way that makes us feel like people are looking down on us. We should serve one another with persistence. We should depend on the Lord in prayerfulness. Thirdly, we should meet God through His Word with faithfulness and expectations. Notice what it says in Psalm 19. David says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them is, there is great reward. The Bible should not only be the central role of this church, of your life, but it should be our passion. It should be our passion. David says, and he's talking about the law there, he says, um, it's more, I desire it more than gold. You know, we desire riches today far more than we should. As a believer, as, as a Christian, our passion for wealth, our passion for things should not be equal to the world, but yet it is. David said, I desired this more than any money. He goes on, he says I, that this was sweeter than honey. His need for the Word was greater than his need for food. 
Again, we love to have fellowships, but more importantly than that, we should be digging into the Word together and studying the Word together. I guarantee there's people in here, maybe it's young people, maybe it's teenagers, maybe it's adults, but I guarantee you that there's people in here that are more concerned and more excited about where you're going for lunch today than you are about digging into the Word of God. It should be something that we desire. We need to read it faithfully. We need, that means regularly. That means with an eye of faith. But we not only need to read it faithfully, because I believe many times we do read it faithfully, but we need to read it expectantly. That God is going to give us something. When you wake up in the morning and you open up God's Word, you read it and say, God, what do you have for me today? Because this is your love letter to me. And I, and I love to see what you have for me. And when we, as we get together in small groups or, or in Sunday school, are we begging God, God, show us from your Word because our own knowledge isn't enough. Show us what you have for us. And pursue your Word. We need to meet God through His Word with faithfulness and expectation. Fourthly, we need to pursue disciples for Jesus with boldness. What I find interesting in, as you study the early church, everything that the early church did led to evangelism. Everything they did led to telling people about Jesus Christ and it was a passion of their heart and it also was with the threat of persecution. Jesus said when He left, He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Our, our commission from Jesus is clear. Go and make disciples. God saves us in order to send us. We are lights in a world of darkness that is in desperate need of Him. Do you realize that we live in a world today where quickly, quickly, the Gospel is being pushed down faster and faster and faster. Christianity today is still the number one religion, but most of Christianity is watered down at best and perverse in ways. We live in a country that is called a Christian nation, and yet very few people today understand what that means. We live in a world where much of the world has never even heard the name Jesus Christ. I heard recently said, give me one example, in the nation of Turkey. Turkey is a nation of 74 million people. Think about that for a moment. 74 million people. And yet it is said that there is less than 4,000 believers. Does that not just tear you apart? Yet God hasn't commissioned me to go to Turkey. But He has commissioned me to pursue disciples for the glory of God. And are we doing that? And our, our opportunities, our, our groups are not just so that we can have sweet fellowship. Our groups are not just so that we can uh, uh, talk about the Word of God and, and laugh and, and, and tell stories. It's so that we can pursue disciples. Therefore, we're to be bold. We're to be bold and invite people out. 
We are God's chosen people and we're His means of spreading the good news and winning worshipers for Him in every corner of the world. We must witness for Jesus where we are and do what we can. Are we pursuers? Are we pursuing disciples for Jesus with boldness? Listen, this is convicting on my heart because I know that I don't do this the way that I should. We have opportunities to bring people into our groups and say, hey, I know you maybe won't sit in a worship service, but will you come and do a Bible study with us? And you know what? It's messy. I've said that before. It's messy. You bring people in and they might be different. They might not think the same way as you do. They might not believe the same way as you do, but love them. Take the Word and share it with them. And finally, the vision that contributes to growing together is, is this. Number five is we work out our salvation with somberness and joyfulness. In Philippians chapter 2, <coughs> Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Lastly, we are to be committed to living more and more and more like Jesus. It is a joyful privilege of God's people to be conformed to the image of His Son. It is not a burden. And I am, uh, I, I am tired of the mindset that to become like Christ means we have to give up something. I don't give up something to become like Christ. I pursue Him in a relationship with Him. And that is why it's so important that we have an accountability group, like a, a small group that can come around us and say, how are you doing? Are you growing in your relationship with God? Year by year, week by week, even day by day, we must be identifying areas of weakness in our life and failures, receiving forgiveness from God's finished work on the cross, and then working together to change. You know, sometimes it takes, though, others around you to point out your failures, to point out your flaws. And it hurts sometimes. You ever been confronted by someone and your first thought is, you know, the, the claws come out? And you want to attack back? And then you stop and go, you know what? They were right. That is exactly why God told the people to get together and worship through fellowship in the Word. Because it's easy for you to sit in here and hear preaching and, and say, yeah, that was good, uh, that was great, uh, you know, I agree with that, yep, I need to change that. And you walk out that door and you have no one keeping you accountable. Our desire as a church that through our Sunday school program, through our, our, our growth groups, through Bible studies, that we have that. We create those opportunities, whether it's in the youth group, whether it's in the young at heart, whether it's in uh, our, our, our young marrieds, that there is that time where that can take place. And as we gather together, we experience together, we invest our lives together, and then you know what happens is we grow together. 
like I said in the very beginning of this message, God never intended on you growing in your faith alone. God never intended you on you uh, being a spiritual hermit and living by yourself in your spiritual bubble and not letting anyone into that spiritual bubble, but just saying, hey, I'm good. Don't bother me. God never intended that. And growing as a church involves spiritual contact with others. And this happens through planned and unplanned events in our lives. But I'm not going to be ashamed of what I'm suggesting here this morning. And what I'm suggesting here this morning is, as a church, I challenge you, if you are only involved in Sunday morning, I challenge you, find other opportunities to grow. Whether it's Sunday school, Wednesday night, Bible studies that come up, find other opportunities to grow. God has those in your lives for a reason. God has a reason that He wants you to do that because as we come together, we grow together. We, you know, sometimes we're flawed. We're going to mess up. God's desire is for us to grow together. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, what an example the early church was of how to conduct church. And Lord, so often we get caught up in, in our way of running church and we, we miss out on what maybe some of the areas that you intended for us to do. But Lord, I pray that you help us to, as a church to be faithful to the task of growing together. Lord, if there's someone here that hasn't accepted you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that you help them to see that they need you. That they desperately need you to to deliver them from their sins. Lord, for those that are regular members and regular attenders of this church, Lord, I pray you'll help each of us commit, commit to growing together. And for some, that means doing something they aren't currently doing, and Lord, I understand that. But I pray that you will give them the time, that you'll remove excuses, and you'll give them the opportunity to do that. Lord, we thank you again for all that you do for us. Lord, I pray that you help us to be passionate about your word, passionate about spreading it, passionate about prayer, passionate about making disciples. And we ask that you are glorified, your name. Amen.